AVXL episode 195 was recorded on January 7th, 2023. CES 2023, people, and Happy New Year. Let's talk about the new TVs. And don't forget, email ask at avxl.com if you got a question for us. And thank you, really thank you to everyone that supports us at patreon.com slash avxl. Welcome to AVXL, your guide to the best in home video and audio gear. No matter what your budget is, I'm Patrick Norton. Hey, I am Robert Heron. Welcome to 2023, people. Happy New Year. It is the first show of the year. Mr. Heron is back from a day getting eyeballs on the latest TVs. I, okay, do you have a favorite TV, Rob? Man, this is uh, probably not the best time to ask me this question because <laughs> I saw so many terrific TVs at the show. The second generation of the Samsung Quantum Dot OLED technology is really eye-catching. It already had the epic contrast. The color saturation with that RGB subpixel design is visually impressive. What they're doing with this second generation is effectively updating a blue emitter. These TVs incorporate a blue backlight material that goes through a quantum dot color converter to produce the red, blue, green subpixels. There is no white right. subpixel like you would get with the LG design that is used by practically everyone, including Sony and Panasonic and others. This new blue emitter is purportedly being about 30% brighter, and in the side-by-side -side demos I saw, that looked to be pretty accurate. Samsung did announce two new models specifically with their Quantum Dot OLED TVs for 2023, one being the S95C and the other being the S90C. Now, there is a difference in terms of the S95C offering features that aren't available on the S90C that make it a more premium panel in the sense of it's going to have a more advanced audio system and it will have a separate input box. What they haven't decided yet, though, is if both panels are going to use, say, the exact same new updated blue emitter, or will they reserve that exclusively for the S95C and leave last year's technology at a better price point for the S90C? They explicitly told me that they have not made that decision yet. It will be something we will definitely be checking out here in the near, very near future when these are released. Now, they also showed off a brand new Quantum Dot OLED PC monitor in the form of a 49-inch, 240Hz Odyssey OLED G9. I have really not spent a lot of time with one of these type of displays before, and it was delightful to look at. That RGB OLED tech is delivering an impressively wide color gamut. I am not the biggest fan of an ultra-wide display per se, but what I really would like to see eventually is this creep into other formats, in particular something like a 27-inch 1440p monitor or, say, a 4K 32-inch PC monitor. This show effectively became the uh, battle of brighter OLEDs if you want to talk about premium televisions. I just mentioned the Samsung TVs. Panasonic actually had a presence on the show floor, and they had one of their brand new 2023 MZ2000 OLED TVs in their booth. That is a wonderful beast. That features the W OLED panel, the white subpixel, using LG's technology. In addition, it's featuring the micro lens array technology. We talked about this back in 2022, referencing it as something like meta lens array or micro lens array. It seems like the wording is now suggesting that it's just going to be called micro lens array. And what that is effectively is a sheet of lenses that help direct the light that would otherwise be scattered within the panel and not directed right out the front toward your eyeballs, providing more efficiency. 
Panasonic is actually claiming, and they actually showed measurements of this, which I thought was pretty cool, but 1500 plus peak nit brightness, and it could sustain a thousand plus nit brightness. Given that it has a heat sink technology built into it, and this meta lens array, and I am really looking forward to not only seeing that in more people's hands, but this is an LG panel, and LG is introducing this technology as well, this meta lens technology or micro lens array technology with its new G3 series panels, including their 55, 65, and 77 inch models. Anything larger than that in the G series will not feature the meta lens, I gotta keep saying meta lens, micro lens array technology. This is offering increased efficiency. It's directing light that would otherwise be scattered within the panel directly forward and out into your eyeballs. LG also showed off a brand new TV. This is their signature OLED M series. They're calling it the M3, and it is a 4K 120Hz OLED panel. The key feature of this panel is really its zero connect box. There is only one cord that goes to the M3 panel, and that's for power. Everything else will plug into a separate connector box that feeds that TV wirelessly, apparently with little to no compression of the video signal at up to 4K 120. That was a pretty delightful piece of tech. I could see a lot of people that maybe want to feature this TV, say in a living room environment, but not hung on the wall, perhaps on a nice easel-like stand, minimizing cable connections. It looked like a beautiful panel, but there was no word if the M series is actually using the micro lens array technology like the G3 panel is. I'm guessing not. I'm thinking it's probably closer to what the C3 panel is going to be in terms of its technology, but just featuring that zero connect box and enabling truly a, a wireless panel technology. They were not very descriptive about what wireless technology they're using for this. Uh, the box itself has approximately a 10 meter range for directing the signal toward the TV. I'm assuming it's something like 60 gigahertz technology we've seen with other wireless delivery systems for HD or 4K for that matter. And in the LG booth, they also highlighted a new 8K Z3 panel as well. Again, that's mostly for showing off the ability to produce an 8K picture with one of their designs. It will not feature the new micro lens array technology like you will find on the G3 panel. That G3 is really going to be their flagship TV for 2023, in specifically the sizes I mentioned, that 55, 65, and 77 inch. In vivid mode, I would expect that G3 to be able to hit close to 2,000 nits, at least in peak brightness. We will be testing that in the coming months when it is released to see exactly what we can get out of it with something like a more calibrated cinema mode or a filmmaker mode or something like that. Either way, it's just good to see increased efficiency out of these displays, and that gives them a little bit more headroom to compete in terms of producing something more punchy and more applicable to the content that's being developed in Hollywood for things like HDR in particular. Not to be left out for 2023 are the LCDs that were being shown off on the floor. Samsung actually had a brand new 4K and 8K Neo QLED televisions that continue to really refine LCD picture quality. They showed a beautiful side-by-side -side demo actually with their panel from 2022. And the one thing that jumped out was the control of blooming artifacts. In particular, either within a scene or along the edges of a scene with letterboxed content where you have black bars and you're trying to maintain a black bar. In this case, it was like even with the worst case scenarios, 
they've done a very good job for the 2023 models in terms of minimizing anything that would cause that artifact to make a glow where there shouldn't be a glow. And it was pretty damn impressive. They also showed off a 4K versus 8K PC gaming demo, of course, running on something like a NVIDIA 4090, so you could actually have the horsepower to do that. The additional detail of that 8K image was very much noticeable in terms of just being able to see it and, and use it and enjoy it. Every time I looked back at the 4K screen, I found myself blinking a few times, thinking that, wait, are my eyes like gumming over? Uh, is there some minor fog suddenly added to this picture? If you have appropriate hardware and could run a PC game at 8K resolution. It was probably the most impressive demo I've seen as to why 8K or even greater resolutions are worth pressing toward in terms of just having that there. And in particular, I believe it was the game Death Stranding. Maybe not the most visually intense game out there in terms of demand, but in terms of showing an 8K demo and actually having appreciable detail where you could do an A-B comparison with. I came away more impressed than I thought I would be with that. I evaluated an 8K desktop monitor several years ago. It was the first 8K monitor I'd ever gotten hands-on with right outside of a trade show or something. It was that moment. Remember when you heard about phone resolutions and you were like, that's ridiculous. That's just too high. You don't need pixels that small. And then you saw one and you were like, <gasps> you know, there's a word you use when, when you have a certain reaction that is very positive and displays and you're like, luscious. But you say it like Barry White or Parliament Funkadelic. That's a good point. On one hand, it was completely impractical unless, you know, because it was insanely expensive, unless you were editing, you wanted to be able to see like a 70 megabyte photo in Photoshop, you know, to see the entire thing on the screen. And then uh, one of the guys we worked with who was a Civ gamer loaded up Civilization whatever edition on there and he was like, I can see everything. And then you start looking at stuff and you realize that the pixels are so small and the image becomes so extraordinary. Like, I get it. But we're, I mean, at this point, we're barely into 4K on a lot of platforms this year. Totally. <laughs> that's a legitimate concern. And that's something why I think that PC gaming might be one of the killer apps for not only demonstrating 8K, but a reason to even push beyond that. And in a technical demo that Samsung had presented, they even made arguments as to why we need to go beyond 8K. And in particular, if you're trying to truly recreate an analog picture or the, the quality of like an analog, a film content, say, where effectively unlimited resolution you could almost think of it as in terms of the actual film grain and how small those can be and just that look. Mm -hmm. In particular, with something like aliasing artifacts, where if you have very shallow angles on a line, at some point you're going to have on a digital display with, you know, blocks, you're going to have to make a jump to make a line bend a little bit. Right. The more pixels you have, the more seamless you can make that look. And while you won't see likely broadcast content making the jump to, you know, 8K recording or 8K cameras or greater than that, virtual content, in particular PC gaming or even next next gen console gaming will actually be able to take advantage of that when it came to the uh other manufacturers that are among our favorites at the show floor tcl was there in addition to hisense and i'll quickly go over some of their standout products keep an eye out for a qd oled tv coming from tcl in the second half of 2023 uh, tcl has also broken up their series into two distinct groups one called the q series and one called the s series the Q-Series being their more premium quantum dot televisions in the form of the Q6, the Q7, and something called the QM8. The 
Q7, I'll start there. That had the solid gaming features at a good price point that I think a lot of people are going to be interested in. The QM8G, that step-up model, uh, as far as their Mini LED Ultra flagship television, these featured over 2,300 zones of local dimming, about 2,000 nits or greater. These looked wonderful in person, and they said to keep an eye out for an updated version of this QM8G coming later this year that will feature at least 3,000 nits of peak brightness and over 5,000 dimming zones. They also briefly mentioned a new form factor for their mini LEDs that I'm not going to get into right now. I will do a little more research on that and get back to the gang uh, about that. But it was something I was like, huh, what a strange, quickie announcement they had, and then mentioned nothing else about it for the rest of the show. Uh, the other series, of course, being the S series that we may be more familiar with. There's going to be an S3 and an S4 series. These are more value-oriented televisions, the S3 being a 1080p setup, the S4 being a 4K with Dolby Vision and Dolby Atmos, providing entry-level 4K at a great value. Hisense, on the other hand, they were showing off a brand new UX series flagship, talking 2,500 nits, a 16-bit video processor, 8K resolution, 20,000-plus LEDs on the back of that screen, crazy seven-speaker system with, I believe, 80 watts of total power, a nice anti-reflective layer. They're claiming they're going to get this out in a limited release later this year. I think more applicable to us and everyone out there would be the U6, the U7, and the U8 series as updates for 2023. We're going to the new K-series for this year. The uh, U7K aimed more at the gamers for the good value with 144 hertz refresh rate performance that you're looking for. Wow. For the U8K, this will effectively double the local dimming zones compared to the U8 from 2022. They were claiming it was at least 1,500 nits. I'm willing to bet that pushes over 2,000. It also had next-gen TV built into it, and it also had WISA audio support built in. So if you're rolling with some wireless speakers there's a tv ready to go for you and as far as the u6 goes that would be one of their more affordable u-series panels they had at least three variants on display and i'll dig into this some more and report back on what the differences might actually be but it made it a little bit confusing in their booth to actually see like hey there's actually three specific model numbers related to the u6 uh two others in addition to the u6k so i will get back to that as soon as i have more information about it also, Hisense had an early preview of its upcoming 8K RGB laser projector that uses the new Texas Instruments 0.94-inch DLP chipset. That looked fantastic, even in its current form. That thing looked pretty much ready to go at this point. And when I was over checking out Samsung's latest technologies, they had their premier 8K projector as well being demonstrated in their booth. For most of these products I've mentioned, at least for the projectors, there's no time yet set for that or price point. That's all upcoming. Pricing overall, I would say, was really not something discussed at this show. It was more in the sense of time frames we can think of in the next few months, we'll start to see some of these TVs trickle out. And by middle of the year, we should be seeing some of the more premium flagships available in stores. And from that point forward, by the time we roll around to fall, whatever last minute exciting additions they plan to add should be out by then. So <laughs> this is good. It was a wonderful show. I've got a bajillion photos I'm still going through and trying to wrap my head around everything I saw. It's going to be a terrific year for the OLED technology in particular. If you've been holding out looking for incremental improvements, I think enough of them have rolled up into one at this point. 
where you have some really terrific options, especially from the Quantum Dot OLED technology from Samsung Display, in addition to the latest generation of LG's technology in the form of at least that G3 with its micro lens array technology. Those, I think, are just the standouts in terms of absolute performance. And I don't know if I mentioned it or not, but Sony was there as well, of course, on the show floor. They simply were not introducing any TVs at this show. They are waiting for a special custom event of their own doing coming up this spring. So we'll keep an eye out and see what they're doing as well. I was laughing. Uh, I, was, I was reading through Engadget's uh, CES 2023 coverage. And in case you haven't caught up on it, the company formerly known as Philips Lighting, uh, which is Signify, or Signify, the company formerly known as Philips Lighting. So basically, Philips Hue lights now come from a company called Signify. I blather onward because I'm still trying to wrap my head around uh, that they have introduced an app that's going to sync your Samsung TV, at least if it's like a 2022 or later of the right model, to Philips Hue lighting systems. Get that uh, that ambient offset lighting going on there, which is uh, going to sell for a mere $130. <laughs> Huh. I actually saw that at the show, and it looked okay. Yeah. I mean, shout out to Chris Holt. The the author points out that that's quote still around a hundred dollars less expensive than the Philips Hue Play HDMI sync box. Yeah, I was I was laughing uh, about that. <laughs> Suddenly, I'm thinking like, certainly there's a there's got to be a I gotta have at least one Raspberry Pi around here I can use to do some lighting. <laughs> I would like to see that technology become more ubiquitous, Uh, just at least in terms of being able to reproduce and match some of the color that's actually on the screen in a very dynamic way. I think there's a definitely a market for that. A bias lighting when it's set up correctly, especially with certain televisions, I think is a spectacular kind of improvement, but still something, yeah, I don't think we see often enough at this point. No. I'm just going to say $130. That's an impressive price for an app. Um, We were talking before the show. Something you said gave me the impression that, you know, Sony obviously, right, they're going to have their own events. Do you feel like there are going to be more television announcements that are decoupled from CES? Because traditionally for years, right, we've had a big slam of televisions announced at CES. And then generally by the middle of June, July, all the televisions are on the market. There's a mad rush through the end of the holiday season, and then prices start dropping if there's inventory left as so the new televisions are announced at CES next year. I mean, does it sound like a lot of manufacturers are going to be dropping models later this year, or is it mostly just Sony at this point? I think Sony is probably just taking a more realistic approach, going, hey, you know what? We know we're not shipping till later this year, so we might as well wait until we're more certain of it. And it gives them a chance to highlight their products with less noise surrounding it or less competition, so to speak, right. at, at a particular event. They can do their own custom event and invite the press that way. That was another odd thing about the show floor. If you actually went to Samsung's booth, there wasn't much in the way of TVs right there on the show floor for everyone to check out. Oh, it wow. had more to do with lifestyle and environmentalism and as well with LG. Honestly, if you wanted to go see the new G3 panel, that was not in their booth. 
<laughs> it was more also about some of their other products, including laptops and refrigerators and home appliances and mobile devices and things like that. Great products. But if you were strictly on the floor trying to find the latest in terms of the Korean manufacturers, at least uh, their latest and greatest, that was that was odd. And of course, like we talked about, Sony is just going to wait until later this spring before they actually have their own event that's uh, custom to what they'll be doing. And I am looking forward to that as well. You know, it's like everyone talks about the quote-unquote Sony tax, and that really is just a reference to Sony puts a little extra special sauce in everything they touch in terms of any visual product. So you tend to pay a little bit extra for that to get that quality, at least on their premium end. And hey, you know what? If they want to have their own event to highlight all of this, uh, so be it. If anything, it just allows for greater focus on their particular announcements compared to having it just kind of get blended in with the rest of the noise of a particular large event like CES. No, I get that. It just it was an interesting thing because Sony, uh, it really shocked me actually when you mentioned that Samsung didn't have any televisions on the show floor and then thinking about Sony not having stuff. I guess part of that could also just be uh, you know inventory and parts availability. I shouldn't say no TVs on the show floor, but it wasn't anything uh, cutting edge. It, it had stuff that we had already seen or heard about and talked about. Sure. Given that Samsung once made a 60-foot-high Fabergé egg out of their new high-end monitors as the entrance to their floor, right? You know? <laughs> oh, you know what? I'm glad you kind of said something along that line because in their technology demos off the show floor – they did have those micro LED television displays up to 146 inches, uh, 50 inches through 146 inches. Visually speaking, those were very, very impressive in terms of the absolute light output, uh, the color saturation capabilities. Granted, these are extremely expensive displays, relatively speaking, especially compared to something like their Neo QLED LCD televisions, at least up until the point of size that you can compare those to realistically. Uh, we're talking, I would estimate about 5,000 nits of light output. I just kept thinking that if you had a large room environment and you were looking for a custom installation display, this would be something to really consider. It was pretty fantastic. And in terms of using literally blocks of these micro LEDs put together to create a display, it was effectively seamless. I had a very difficult time discerning any kind of gap or stacking of this micro LED technology in terms of making these displays, especially compared to their previous efforts, like with the wall. This was a whole brand new series of technology going into that, and it was fantastic to look at for sure. And just a quick mention as far as Samsung's displays go, if you're into things like their frame design, where you can do more than just television, you could actually customize the bezels and display artwork on it quite easily. They had a new matte finish on these displays that I believe they introduced last year, but it's carrying over to 2023. Mm -hmm. It is such an improvement compared to what they used to do with their television designs in this category, especially for displaying artwork. It eliminated effectively room light reflections, and it really allowed you to appreciate the texture of the particular art being displayed, in addition to just some of the new custom frames you could actually select from, uh, be it colors or woods or metals or whatever. They're, they've really pushed what they can do and what's available in terms of customizing that. But it was more for that matte finish that they've added to the display surface itself 
that really just made it easier to appreciate whatever artwork was being displayed. I was very impressed, even though it was rather subtle. <laughs> Something you kind of had to look for. We'll talk about audio next week. Uh, there's a fistful of sound bars, especially from Samsung and LG. Uh, personally, I thought Razer's new Leviathan V2 Pro, the world's first beam-forming soundbar with head-tracking AI. Sorry, I, I get it complicated about Razer sometimes. The uh, That's the one with the IR camera built into it that's always on that was freaking everyone yeah. out. Yeah. I think the concept is cool. <laughs> But do you trust that company? <laughs> yeah, we'll get into that one later. Yeah, it's, you know, I'm going to stop right here. We'll talk about it next week. Um, you know, I find it fascinating that they're talking about doing beam forming to follow your head. Essentially, this is, is this for like gaming. You have to go underneath a gaming monitor. It's not a home theater. Uh, it's not a home theater soundbar. But the things that they're putting together that were kind of fascinating. You know, there was a smattering of earbuds, a couple of record players. I was actually really surprised that uh, the, the French high-end speaker manufacturer, Focal, was there. And we'll get into that next week. Really, the thing I... I really would have liked to have gotten hands-on with at CES was Lenovo's new Yoga Book 9i, which is that dual-screen laptop that folds into all these different configurations, in part because I'm doing a lot of typing and I miss my widescreen monitor, my dual monitors, uh, when I'm working on my laptop. But uh, we're going to talk audio from CES next week. We're going to fire up the viewer questions. So email ask at avxl.com with your home theater and personal audio questions. I want to give a shout out on a tweet I saw from uh, Joe Wiesenthal, a.k.a. The Stalwart on the Twitters. Uh, he co-hosts the Odd Lots podcast. That's a Bloomberg podcast. The hosts, quote, talk about the complex issues and newest market phrases, but they had a guest on that were talking about uh, shipping costs. The tweet I saw was essentially a chart tracking container prices. It just says container rates and has a link to a picture, uh, Shanghai to Los Angeles, mid price bench rate for like a 40 foot box and the, the prices as of december are down to 1992 dollars for that trip which puts it back around the christmas shipping rush rates from 2018 i was gonna Maybe say a smidge above most of the 2019 rates right but it, it's it's you know it, it's it's bringing it back from those highs we saw like this chart shows the the mid-price peak at being like 12 grand we heard about spot pricing that was right. up to 25 30 40 thousand dollar container one of the things they talk about with their guests talks about one of the challenges is efficiently loading these containers many times these containers are only 70 percent full right so when we talked about, for example, speaker kits or speakers that had suddenly jumped up in price 50%, a lot of that, when we talked to people, was the cost of uh, wood and the cost of shipping, which had gone up incredibly, shipping especially. So it's interesting. When you think about $40,000 being absorbed across a bunch of items, it may be a much smaller number of items absorbing that massive $30,000, $20,000, $10,000 cost increase. In some cases, we've already seen vendors drop prices on items. I'm thinking of a couple speaker manufacturers. Uh, you know, We also might see vendors keeping prices high to make up for lost sales when they either didn't have inventory or parts or components uh, were short. Uh, anyhow, it's good to see those prices come down. One of the other things that came out in that podcast was the, the guest was kind of fascinated or disappointed by how little was changing in the wake of this you know that that manufacturers are you know there are lots of manufacturing in china they're going back to just-in-time manufacturing they're not 
I, I don't want to say they're not learning from this whole COVID supply chain debacle, but they're going back to the you know, way to generate the maximum profits as quickly as possible, which is basically exactly what they were doing before COVID. Um, anyhow, prices on shipping are going down, which is positive. Uh, yeah, you had a link to the uh, Value Electronics front projector shootout for 2022 that kind of wrapped up the year for them. You noted that JVC took all the awards. I would like to point out that Sony was very close in the $4,000 to $7,000 category and fairly close in the $25,000 to $30,000 category. Good uh, point. You know, the high-end categories basically had one or two JVC projectors and one Sony competitor because there's just not a lot of people targeting that that uh, <laughs> that segment. Basically, once you get above like four or five grand, there are not a whole lot of people making projectors out there. But the four to seven thousand dollar projector shootout had everything from Epson's Pro Cinema LS twelve thousand, JVC's DLNA NP five, LG's AU eight ten PB, Sony's VPL XW five thousand ES, which was I think a tenth of a point behind that JVC. And you know, I don't want to spoil it because I want you to go to Big Picture Big Sound, you know, read their summary of best home theater projector, or if you're in Westchester, go buy something from Value Electronics because uh, they're an amazing company and they share a lot of great information with the enthusiast community. You know, when you look at this, right, the LG projectors four grand, the Epson projectors five grand, the JVC projectors seven grand, and the Sony projectors six grand. So there's like a thousand dollar bump between each of these. And that's significant when you're talking about a $5,000 projector going to a 7,000 or a 4,000 to a 5,000 to a 6,000 to a $7,000 projector. Um, but that's kind of how the market breaks down. And oddly enough, this is one of those weird cases where if you spend more, <laughs> you seem to get better results because literally that 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 the 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 rankings were you know four five six seven. <laughs> you know the distance between uh, you know the number one and number two projector was a tenth of a point. Um, Good point so <laughs> actually you know the, they were super close right you know and the distance between number three and number four were three tenths of a point right one of the takeaways for me was that if you truly have a light controlled room for your projection setup where you're not dealing with any ambient light outside of what's coming out of the front of that projector that's where right. you can really notice the most about what black level capability a particular projector is going to have. And that's something across the board that JVC has focused on above just about anything else. Whenever anybody references a projector with great contrast, JVC is almost always at the top of that list because of their ability and the way they've done their light engine to just simply produce a darker black at a given price point than you know most of their competitors at least at least right. uh, you, you don't hear about anyone going oh this is exceeding what jvc does in terms of black level on a projection system right it gives it that extra pop that i think is what propelled them to the in some cases by very little but still to the top of the list on all of these right. comparisons and again it's just it's delicious no matter how you put it yeah, and, and it's definitely worth your time. It's definitely worth your time to look at. Um, they basically have their ballots, their scorecards for these, and uh, or, or uh, pictures of those up at the article on Big Picture Big Sound. And when you look at this, they they looked at SDR and they look at HDR. 
and for HDR, they're looking at near black or black level shadow detail, color accuracy and skin tones, thousand nit tone mapping, the color volume, and then an overall score. Um, and you kind of get an idea, you know, when you when you look at the scores for like near black level, JVC does really well. Sony, it, it's kind of interesting, right? JVC kind of has a huge lead over the rest of the category on uh, near black levels and color accuracy. But it's it's interesting to kind of see what's out there and, and where things are going. So Totally. And then yet another great roundup, I would say, from, uh, yeah. or at least uh, supported and sponsored by the good crew at Value Electronics. True that. So thank them. Thank them for us. If, you, if you're in Westchester... Give say thanks. Something else worth noticing. I think Rob, you found this article up on flatpanelshd.com. And essentially, there are companies out there which are incredibly unfamiliar to the American market that are trying to replace Oppo uh, for the high-end UHD Blu-ray player. And uh, Pande, Rayvon. And then this company, this article is about Magnetar, which really makes me think of a 1970s uh uh, television manufacturer. <laughs> it's got that kind of vibe to it. Um, but, uh, you know, in this case, they talk about the MediaTek MT8581 chipset. Um, you know, it's a 4K UHD blue player, HDHDR support, Dolby Vision, and HDR10+. Um, what's crazy about this, though, is I don't think, I, I don't know if this will even be available in the United States, but we're talking about something that is priced out at 1600 euros that is crazy expensive now if you want the do-it-all player there is an option (laughs) (laughs) if you want to spend all of the money right you know and this is you know it has analog audio output it's got digital audio output it's got rs-232 control it's got a pair of hdmi outputs it's running java in there for reasons i'm not going to get into right now uh, if you're not familiar with the uh, euro, it's 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 not quite a one to one, but uh, sixteen hundred euros translates into about seventeen hundred U.S. dollars. I am fascinated. Dot dot dots. Uh, always happy to see, you know, more support for Dolby Vision and HDR10 Plus because uh, forward looking. But I find it difficult to believe that you would be able to measure or see a massive difference between this and, say, you know, the top-of-the-line LG or Sony players. Probably. Spank me if I'm wrong. Email ask at abxl.com. But I uh, want to give you guys a heads up on that. But it has XLR outputs and RS-232 control if you're doing home automation and you want to integrate it. Well, there are other options, too. But I'm just saying. It's yeah, there. There's... there's <laughs> There's, uh, uh, yeah, I'll yeah. just walk away from that. What's going on with uh, Dolby Vision playback on uh, on uh, Xbox and, and PS5? Oh, I ran into this the other day at a client's house who is a gamer extraordinaire, to say the least. And it turned out that they were in the process of uh, adding a standalone disc player to their home theater setup, specifically because... They enjoy the collection of discs they have, including some new 4K content on disc, but neither console actually supports Dolby Vision playback from a Blu-ray disc. Now, for games and streaming apps that feature Dolby Vision content, the consoles are perfect for that. They can handle it and process it just fine. But when it came to 4K ultra high-def Blu-ray discs, nothing. Uh, It just doesn't work. You're stuck downsampling at best, 
if you're lucky enough to even be able to configure that properly. But as far as just uh, straight Dolby Vision playback, kind of sad that something, at least like a PlayStation 5, I remember the PlayStation 3 being one of the very best disc players you could use in terms of 4K playback, right. or at least just 1080p Blu-ray. Uh, probably wasn't 4K at that point. <laughs> but uh, for the original discs that came out, that, that just stood there as a terrific way to take uh, uh, something that was clearly capable of playing a disc and supporting the output of the formats available at the time and doing it quite well, but nowadays not so much the case. Uh, truly the world has gone towards streaming content and at least you know for the games and those streaming apps, you're good to go with Dolby Vision content. It's just for... The folks like me, and probably you, who are uh, <laughs> fans of the 4K disc. And that for that reason alone, you are best off with a standalone Blu-ray player for that kind of yeah. content. doesn't have to be an expensive one. You can no. get a good one for about 150 or so dollars. Uh, Sony True. makes a decent one. <laughs> and Panasonic makes a few good ones, too. So, yeah, it's all there. Anyway... Thought it was worth discussing. Uh, yeah. We got a nice uh, follow-up treat from David McJunkin about the Focal Bathies. That's that uh, $800 wireless active noise-canceling headphone from Focal that you can't turn the ANC off. David says, hey, Patrick and Robert, read your comments about the Focal Bathies BT headphone. It can be used with a 3.5-millimeter analog or USB-C cable connection, and in those modes, noise cancellation is defeated. Um part of me was like, if only my phone still had a headphone jack. Uh, and then I started laughing. Uh, one, David, thank you, thank you, thank you for the heads up on this. Um, that said, all I'm going to say is connecting a cable to my $800 wireless headphones kind of defeats the purpose of wireless headphones, even if they don't cost $800. But it is good to know there's a way to bypass that. I just kind of think it defeats the joy of having wireless headphones, which is being able to walk around without having a cable coming off of your head. But uh, excellent, something worth thinking about. We're going to wrap this episode up. Uh, we're going to come back next week with a pile of viewer questions. We're going to talk about some of the audio and the other stuff at CES 2023. And did you have anything you wanted to talk about before we wandered off into the darkness? I was just going over what some of my 2022 YouTube viewing was as far as if I could categorize it in any particular way. One section that kind of jumped up at me that I probably haven't mentioned, uh, at least not lately anyway, was some of the electronics gurus who have great content available on YouTube. And three of them, and I'll put links to all these in the show notes, but a gentleman named Marco Reps. Uh, Great Scott, as a gentleman named Scott, I believe, and Big Clive at BigClive.com. Those three uh, provide some of the most, uh, I find, entertaining content in addition to sometimes stuff that goes well over my head, but I try to absorb as much of it as possible while appreciating the, their attention to detail, their humor, and their willingness to share knowledge. And if you have perhaps a young budding engineer in the house or you're into electronics or electronic projects, be it everything from DIY to far more detailed and high-end uh, electronics doings in terms of creating or repairing or just analyzing. These are three great channels to check out. Just a ton of good stuff, and especially some of the humor can be quite good. I just have to ping Marco Reps in particular. It's probably some of my favorite content. Probably the content that goes the furthest over my head, but at the same point, it's still the presentation ability is uh, something that makes me smile every time I watch it. And it's 
good stuff all around though. And a, and a good playlist to bring up if you're ever just in the mood or, or that's something maybe you're into. It's always just good to check it out and see what folks are doing out there and maybe get some ideas or just to enjoy if you're into that sort of thing. Anyway, I'll leave it at that. Oh my goodness. I will say I'm in the process of reevaluating my streaming video spending. My family, especially my boys, are, are watching a lot more uh, a lot more YouTube, right? A lot of DIY, a lot of how-to, a lot of these sculpting channels that are pretty amazing. Uh, I, something we'll probably talk about next week is all of the recent price changes for Disney Plus and what's going on with Netflix and HBO Max. Because um, I'm I'm kind of trying to decide which of my umpteen streaming services it's time to get rid of. I'm going to adopt uh, Tom Merritt's advice about not being a completist. Um, and I was also kind of fascinating watching uh, The Gray Man because I, I, I've really enjoyed a lot of Ryan Gosling's works over the years. Chris Evans plays an absolutely hysterical, over-the-top, ridiculous bad guy, which I enjoyed the crap out of. A couple of other of my favorite actors are tucked in there. But uh... <laughs> I was helping a friend do a soundbar setup a uh, weekend or two ago, and it was a good reminder to just simply go through things that you have as far as streaming services go. In this case, they had a Amazon Prime account and they weren't even aware that there was video related to that that they could be taking oh, advantage funny. of. And I'm like, hey, you know what? Before you go spending another dime on anything, at least get this set up. And we went and picked up an appropriate streaming device for their bedroom and their living room and made sure that those things were configured properly. And it's like, hey, there's a whole new source of video now that they can take advantage of. I'll also get into a quirk I ran into setting up a wireless speaker system, uh, especially that in terms of it relating to Wi-Fi extenders in particular and the problems that those can cause. <laughs> it was pretty unique, but otherwise, a little bit of head scratching was involved. Oh, my goodness. Well, so I mentioned the Gray Man, right? Russo Brothers, part of their deal with Netflix. I think they spent somewhere, I think they spent $200 million putting this film together, which is a spectacular amount of money. Uh, it was visually stunning. There was a lot of explosions. I think they could have a lot, a lot more with the script. But one of the things I think we're going to see this year, especially from people who are not, say, Amazon or Apple, where they make stupid amounts of money on everything but their content. The content's like a side sell. It's it's the bag of chips and the gum on your way out of the supermarket. Um, I think we're going to see budgets pull back, certainly on HBO Max, as they're struggling to, to cut costs there. But um, also, I just want to give a, a shout-out uh, to... Uh, Alfred Woodard's uh, spot in The Gray Man, which was, she plays just an absolute badass in a very subtle kind of cool way. But it's, I, you know, it's been funny watching his dark materials and The Sandman and all these super spendy productions. Uh, I'm very, very curious to see what comes out this year and next year and how uh, various streaming services do or do not pull back other content creation. I'm also a little fascinated by Slow Horses which I've been slowly working through on uh, Apple TV. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting, 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 interesting year for new creations. All right, email ask at avxl.com. If you've got a question for us, tweet at Robert Heron, at Patrick Norton, or at avxl. Uh, and if you're a patron, and if you are, thank you. We appreciate your patronage. We will uh, be doing another host this, uh, another gathering this month. We did our last one in December before Christmas. I think in the future we will not do one that close to a holiday. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
But uh, keep an eye on patreon.com slash avxl. And uh, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. I'm Patrick Norton. I am Robert Heron. We'll catch you next week on AVXL.